Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. Hello, everyone. Peter Ringles here. You're listening to us live on Building Fortunes Radio. That's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. For those people unfamiliar with my voice, my name is uh, Peter Mingles. There's my voice still. And every once in a while, we get a chance to grab Scott Warren on one of our live radio shows. And tonight is one of those great events. Scott is a gentleman who's been a lawyer in the MLM world and other areas for a really, really long time. It's been over 20 years, I know. I met him as a result of some of the work that we were doing with the trade associations of this industry. I think I first met him, maybe got a chance to shake his hand when we were doing this stuff with the Distributor Rights Association or maybe even the MLMIA. But it's been a really, really, really long time, and I always welcomed Scott Warren on the legal panels that we had and any conference calls that we did because he was level-headed, explained everything in a very matter-of-fact, kind of very simple-to-understand way, and overall he's a really good guy. So he's a dad. He's got some boys in college now, like kids grow up and everything else like that. We've done radio shows before on his, I think it was his wife's birthday or maybe his birthday where he's sneaking into the bedroom to be able to do our radio show as well. So he's a, he's a good sport, and he jumps on our radio show to be able to talk about some of the things that are happening in the industry. And this is our very first radio show of 2018, so I asked him to be on a little bit early. We usually do this on the first, the third, and if there's a fifth Monday of every month, but this one is the second Monday, but I wanted to be able to get some news out there relatively early in advance because there's some things happening. Besides being a partner in w-wlaw.com, so you would go to w-wlaw.com, he also recently inked a book, and that is called Schemes and Scams. And we did a radio show specifically on that, and he was really super nice to be able to send me a book as well on that, and I find it really very interesting. And it doesn't just talk about MLM. It talks about lots of different types of things, so you can kind of find the common ground relative to the different schemes and scams that are out there. And I just always like to say welcome to Scott Warren. So, Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I bet you don't have any listeners tonight from Georgia or Alabama, since they're all they watching could, football. They could be watching football. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They, well, they probably are, but they could be watching football and listen to us at the same time. That's I suppose. true. Yeah, they could be. Or they catch the replay. So for those people that and listen, by the way, your introduction. Yes, sir. your introduction um, about how long we've known each other and how long I've been doing this basically mm-hmm. just made me feel old. I, you know, I was thinking about that, too. I was thinking about that because, you know, we start thinking about old and, like, you have kids in college. Like, holy crap, yep. how the, how the hell did you have kids in college? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, when did this happen? But, exactly. you know, we'll segue, we'll segue this in. Even though we get older, the stuff that we talk about is always sometimes the same thing, just a slightly yep. different story. And that's the you part that's it the is. And it's old. the same basic scenario, just a new vehicle. That's all it is. 
Yep. So for all those people listening in, I mean, we've been doing this for a really long time. I know for me it's been 20 years in this industry, 19 – I'm sorry, 12 years even before that in the uh, direct sales world. You've been doing this stuff for most of your adult life. 20, and, 25 uh, years. Yeah, so we've seen all of these things kind of go round and round, and they have these what I call PPs, the predictable patterns. Now, the, some of the drama may change, some of the actors may change, but they really do follow very predictable patterns. So if you listen into this radio show, you should not really be uh, fooled, if you will, or scammed by some of these things that are out there, or if you are, because sometimes even good people get scammed in different things based on some preliminary things. I'm going to talk about some of that as we go. But if you do, you're going to be less likely to be scammed, and hopefully you won't go all in like some of uh, the people that we might reference on this radio show did. And now they've, they've lost retirement accounts. They're losing, you know, uh, they have huge credit card bills. They've probably lost some stuff from other people's money as well. And they're in a real world of hurt, and sometimes it takes a decade, if not ever, to be able to recover from some of these things. So, Scott, I'll let you kind of kick it off if you wanted to talk about whatever we want to talk about on this one. Or why don't you tell people a little bit about the book first? So I don't want to drop well, – I don't want to get wrapped well, up in everything. Just, tell people about the books. I think you just did. I mean, that's basically it. I wrote the book as a collection of little vignettes of schemes, different schemes and scams that show that there's patterns. And to to show that not not only – I mean, it's – you know, somebody asked me if I was involved in each of them in some way, and I said, look, the first one that I wrote about is 300 B.C., so no. <laughs> but even since, you know, since the, the dawn of man, basically, the scams have been the same, and the pattern always seems to come out the same. So I thought if I could put a vignette together where little things change, you know, the actors change, the trust factor changes, the the um, product, if you will, or, or lack thereof changes. But the basic premise behind it generally stays pretty much the same. And so if I could put enough examples together with twists and turns and a little bit of mystery and intrigue to some of them, that maybe people would spot that and avoid getting involved in them. So yep. that was and, the whole uh, premise of the book. It's a great book. It's a great read, too. And the, one of the cool things is you don't have to read the whole book to get it. You can literally read a couple of pages and there's a story, and then a couple of other pages and read a story. So you can read it while you're at the bus stop, you know, at the train station, whenever you're doing anything, you know, grabbing a, grabbing a bite to eat. You can do any or all those things and get a nice little snippet and be able to go back to it. And there's not necessarily an order. Like, you could start wherever you start. Pick a topic that you like, and then you're not going to be missing out anything because you started in the middle. So it's a really great book. You can find it in lots of places, um, Amazon, of course, and then also I think you can find it. Scott, can they buy it on the website? W you can buy it on w my website, Paul? and you can buy it actually in crypto uh, you, on my website. Cool. So, All right. And then um, you can buy it on Amazon in regular paperback or in um, digital form. So and then I'm, a, I'm speaking okay. this weekend at an event, oh. and any of the events that I go to, people have them there. So, Excellent. Very good. So um, uh, let's uh, kick it off, and you mentioned the thing, cryptocurrency. You know, yep. there's this little expression, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And in the MLM world, I playfully say, you know, the MLM slogan is, if it's too good to be true, you got to get in, you know, or you better get in. you got to get in quick. So, yeah, you got to get in quick. <laughs> 
so there's so that's a golden rule, you know, kind of. But realistically speaking, there, there have been a lot of examples in cryptocurrency world where people did get in early. They were early adopters. They bought, you know, Bitcoin or any other kind of coin relatively early on. They talk about 100 times returns, 1,000 time returns, 10,000 time returns. And those are the Cinderella fairy tale stories, but they're real. That's the problem. They, those kinds of stories that are real raise that level of doubt. And I think that's part of the confidence game that some of these scammers or scamming opportunities are taking advantage of uh, people's ability to see that hint of trueness. Although it's, it's kind of weird. You've got to kind of separate it out. So I'll let you um, kick it off. But I wanted to bring up cryptocurrency, if you will, combined with MLM of any sort or any kind of an opportunity. And then let's talk about some of the recent things that might have happened with um, uh, the USI, uh, USI Tech, which is a network marketing company, and also BitConnect. So if you want to kick it off there, I'll just kind of get you started. Sure. Well, one of the things, you don't really have to even do the combination of, of crypto and MLM to get the same issues. Really what the regulators are looking at unfortunately or fortunately however you look at it with crypto since there's been these ICO ICO explosion which is initial coin offerings which are just like initial offering stock option or stock offerings and but they weren't regulated so you could go out and raise as much money as you want and on these on on your coins that you've developed yourself that are not traded on the third party market you know an exchange is what they're called and you can set the price for them yourself, and then you manipulate the price yourself. And there were so many of these, in which most of them were fraudulent and scams, that the government said, hey, well, we've got to start regulating this. So the government went back, and really they used a case from the 1940s that, called the Howey case, which is a test. There's, it's a four-factor test to determine if it's a security or not. And so you really don't have to combine the MLM aspect of it. They just looked at the crypto aspect of it and said, if it meets all four of these prongs, it's a security, and then it's either got to be registered or it's got to be exempt. Well, when they went through this and started doing this evaluation, what they found in the cases that they did, which were like Zen Miner um, and uh, Munchie, what, what they found was that they were lying to people that they didn't have the hashing power, the computing power that they said they had, that they weren't giving the people what they promised them they, they were giving them, and they went after them. Uh, I'm involved with a company now that promised people, that, and including myself, that they had 70,000 computers, which is what they sold. They showed them to us. turns out they only had 24,000. So... They're, when they go after these people as a security, they're not even getting to the point of having to do a security, a, a securities lawsuit. They're finding that they're actually Ponzi schemes. And you know, you, they're the newest ones would, that you brought up. I mean, U.S. ITech was promising. It's a typical Ponzi argument. They promised a one percent return on investment per day. Anybody, I tell people this all the time, 
Anybody that promises you a guaranteed return on investment is when you should stop and walk away because it's a Ponzi scheme. No one can guarantee you a return on investment. You may get into some coin like a Bitcoin or a Ethereum or Litecoin that goes, you know, nuts up, Ripple. But the, you know, I bought, I personally bought Ripple at two cents. And I said, oh, great, it went to 40 cents and I sold it. I should have held on to it because it's now $3, I think. But that's, those, those stories are out there. But those stories don't happen generally with the companies that control their own, their own coin and it's not on an exchange. And it, they don't happen from a coin that gives or a, pers- a company that gives you a guaranteed return on investment, whether they're mining Bitcoin or any other coin or their own coin. If they guarantee you a return on investment, they are saying basically that we we know it's going to go up 365% a year. Well, that's not realistic. And so then the question becomes, well, where are they getting it? Especially when in U.S. ITEX case. They said they, – they didn't even try to hide it. They said Our, your 1% return on investment is not tied to Bitcoin, whether it goes up or down. In other words, it's completely tied to us getting more investors. And so those things, those kind of things that happen are very typical of Ponzi schemes and probably makes the SEC more emboldened to go after legitimate companies that are trying to do things right because every time they they go after one of these it seems they don't even have to go into the full evaluation they just start and all of a sudden it unravels right in front of their eyes and it's a Ponzi scheme so I mean that's where we're at with this whole thing there we go so for those people that have never heard of the Howey test before that stand it's spelled H-O-W-E-Y and a simple search engine search will give you the four-prong questions. Oh, I'll give and, them to you. Yep, there we I go. So, yeah, so, so go, go ahead and then uh, okay, this way I'll give them to you very, yeah, I'll give them to you in a, in a non-technical sort of way without going in-depth on them. But the first one is an investment of money. And generally, the first one is always, it, it, it's always met because generally you, you're buying something. The even legitimate company, a, right? So even yeah. legitimate, an investment of money. Right, but I you, have to, you have to meet all. Right? To, to meet the Howey test, you have to meet all four prongs. So, pretty much everybody meets prong one. Prong two is a common enterprise, which means that you ha- it has to be a group of people together doing something, and they th- that one's pretty complex because there's multiple ways that they look at it in different courts around the country. They have a horizontal method, a vertical method, and a strict vertical method. And all three of them are a little bit different, and they change the evaluation based on the jurisdiction. The third one is an expectation of profits. Now, this is a big one with crypto because the SEC's position is, why would anybody invest if they weren't thinking it's going to go up in value? My argument to that is the same argument I would make with gold, that there's a class of society out there that does not trust the fiat currencies of the world or the banking, the banking industry or the governments, and they're looking for a, a, 
currency that they can use anywhere in the world that's going to be stable and that they can count on no matter what happens with governments. So my argument would be in, in many cases that the expectation of profits is not there with, with the people that are doing it. However, when you hear these companies talk, that's all they talk about is the promise of profits. So they, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot there. And then the fourth one is that it's solely from the efforts of the promoter or others, solely from the efforts of others. So if you do nothing to make the value go up, usually prong three and four, the expectation of profits is combined with solely for the efforts of others, solely from the efforts of others. Because if, if you invest your money, it's generally usually called a passive investment. If you invest your money with someone for it to go up in value and you do nothing, they do everything, it, that meets both prongs. So it's not a very hard test to meet all four prongs for. It's actually a, a harder test to be creative to make it so that you don't meet those prongs or to be, you know, set up right. It's, it's right. easy so to the, meet the all four is, prongs. Right. So the thing with the Howey test is there are things in this world that all those four things happen when I buy Apple stock. You know, I'm not going to sit here and make Apple phones. You know, I don't do anything that's to right. promote Apple, uh, but that's Apple stock. So there's lots of things that fit this Howey test, but they have to be what? They have to be registered as securities or well, registered. So go ahead. Yeah, if you meet the Howey test, you either need to be registered as a security, which Apple stock is, or any any publicly traded stock is is registered with the SEC. Um, the or you have to have an exemption. And it, one of the big arguments right now for companies is this sharing hashing power, which is a it's it's a you know what happened with these guys and with the with others. And if you're sharing hashing power and putting it all together, well the reason you're sharing hashing power generally is because people can't afford the whole, the whole mining rig themselves. So they want to buy a partial mining. Well, if you're buying partial mining because you can't afford a, a full mining rig, you probably are not an accredited investor. And generally, the exemptions to the securities laws require people to be accredited investors, which means you have a certain net worth and certain sophistication in investments. So generally, the exemption part of it is is probably – not and not going to be a saving grace for companies trying that are doing MLM and crypto. The whole idea is you get in cheap, and the reason you get in cheap is because you're hoping to get a return on investment and without spending a lot because you don't have a lot. Right. So the concept here. Let's talk about. Um, let's use. I guess we'll use an example of a USI tech without using them specifically, maybe because a lot of them fall into this category. So there's the story about how you get started for a little bit of money, and then all of a sudden you're going to get this one percent return on investment. And uh, I think in the case of USI tech, 
it was, you know, they give you back your money at 1% basically for the first 100 days, and then the next 40 days are going to be where you get your interest right from. So they promise you a return on your investment of 140%. And then, of course, it always gets into the idea, well, you really don't want your money back. You want to reinvest. So you keep buying more packs, and then if you get people in because you can help perpetuate the business, uh, you're going to get a percentage commission on things along that line. And those are really the, the, the gray areas or the blatantly bad areas uh, where people get themselves in trouble. Um, in reference to this, though, they seem to really catch fire, meaning those things usually seem to go like crazy for a while. And everybody makes money, and everybody means everybody. Everybody makes money because of that passive element, and then all of a sudden they don't anymore. So what is it about the nature of this Ponzi element that causes everybody to make money and then all of a sudden they don't anymore? And that's part of the challenge too because everywhere you look, this guy's making money, this guy's making money, you're making money, at least on paper or in digital forms in your back office, and then they don't anymore. Why don't they anymore? What is the magical thing that triggers the end? Well, once, the, once less people start coming in, the money dries up and they can't pay out the commissions and, and therefore and, – and either they're, they're figuring – and if the, if the crypto that they're investing in goes down at all, then they're doomed because they're, what they're doing is they're subsidizing their portion from their portion of profits. They're subsidizing if it goes down the the losses but the if it, if it stays stagnant they're okay if it goes down a little they're probably okay if it goes down a lot or it stays stagnant for any number of days there's no profit there for the company and so and people aren't as enthused about joining because they're all looking at the the exchanges and seeing the numbers go up and if they're not enthused less people come in less packages are purchased and all of a sudden there's not enough money to pay out what was promised. Right. So usually it gets big enough where they can't hold their breath, if you will, for very long. So if there's a disruption in the technology, if there's some kind of a legitimate problem like a hack or some kind of a problem with a bank or a vendor or something else, or if there's a slowdown in recruits like you had mentioned, or maybe some of the challenges associated with maybe a government agency like the SEC, then all of a sudden they can't survive for very long. Like they, right. they go down quick because of the massive amount of people they have to pay out. Let's talk a little bit about, if you will, the recent actions of the security exchange. So what does the SEC do? Well, first, well, the SEC can do any number of things, but first let me comment on what you just said a second sure. ago. Two of the examples you used were, if I can remember now, I can't remember what I had for dinner a half an hour ago, so um, bear with me. No, you you said technology glitches, oh hacking, um, or, hacking. or banking issues. Generally, those are not real. In most cases, when they start saying, "Hey, we have to slow. We can't pay out because we were hacked, or we can't pay out because we have a banking issue," that's generally not true. In most in most cases, it's made up by the company, and it's because they couldn't pay out, and so they're making excuses, and that's the beginning of the end, generally. But back to and the then, SEC. And then what, hap right, then what happens is the run on the money. Anybody that can get yep. their money out, 
then does, it out quick. and then it's over. Yep. Then it's over. The, the which, which is the same reason. Any... Oh, yeah, it's the same reason why banks don't allow you to take out all your money at one time. Or if there was that's a run right. on the money, the banks would shut down. And you know, we could talk about that. As, and that's one of the reasons why there's cryptocurrencies, because people are afraid of if there's ever any kind of a problem with the banking industry, there'd be a run on the money. Or just like what happened that, with the financial collapse. That's one reason. Another reason is people don't want to pay their taxes. And since sure. crypto has has anonymity in, in in most cases, and it it and it's not liquid, it's not even considered a currency. It's considered property, so it's not really valued until you sell it. That people think they can avoid their taxes, which you know is is likely from one country to another even is likely tax evasion. So that and that's why we haven't even seen getting, that bubble. Yeah, we haven't no. even seen that bubble yet. But that's why governments are getting so involved. All the governments are becoming more aggressive on it and putting out statements anti-crypto. It's not because they're against crypto. In fact, most of these countries want to start their own cryptocurrency, including our own. But it's because they're not getting their piece. And the government wants its piece of the action. And so if everybody was honest and paid their taxes based on what they did, the government would be fine with crypto. But since people don't, they, they're not fine with it. But anyway, back to your SEC question. What, can the, what does the SEC do? The SEC can do any number of things. They can do an inquiry. They can subpoena records and just question people. They, um, they can issue a cease and desist. Most of the time that's state level, not federal, uh, which just means stop what you're doing. We're investigating. Usually the cease and desist is the first step before a lawsuit or an investigation. Um, and, and an investigation, you know, nothing may come out of it, but something comes out of it even when nothing does because there could be nothing done wrong, but it certainly is disruptive to the company and, and scares off a lot of potential distributors or members or investors or whatever they are in whatever the case is. So the, the, just the power of investigation is frightening enough to most people in, in the business. The, um, they can, or they can come in immediately and shut you down, seize assets. There, there's, you know, their, um, their powers are, are daunting, frankly. They, they don't really answer to anybody. And they have unlimited subpoena power where they can demand your records, demand everything without ever filing a lawsuit against you. So, you know, there's an right. old saying so, that the, the bureaucracy must get bigger and bigger to feed the ever-expanding bureaucracy. That's, that's what it is. So, right. So now what the SEC can't do is the SEC can't arrest you, right? I think that has to be done by somebody else. The so SEC by the does not have a policing ability. They use the Department of Justice for that, and they use the FBI as their investigative agency. So the thing is, like the first blow, if you will, would be a cease and desist from the SEC. That's kind of like a test of, okay, you've got 30 days to answer this, and uh, you're on notice. 
And yeah, typically want... with the SEC, typically mm-hmm. with the SEC, a cease and desist is not the first step. The first okay. step from the SEC is generally an investigation, which would be subpoenas for records or subpoenas for documents. And then after their investigation, if they find nothing or if you if 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 you're cooperative and and clean, then the the next step is basically you sign some consent decree with a slap on the wrist and you, and you pay them a small fine and you move 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 along. If they do find stuff, and since they're they're basically cops, and they're looking to find stuff, and they believe that you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. That, that's it's it's an absolute opposite of the standards of the con, of the Constitution. You are guilty until you prove yourself innocent in the eyes of the SEC or the FTC or any of those agencies, because they're bureaucrats. Again, they don't answer to anybody. They weren't elected. They don't have to worry about losing their jobs or funding or anything like that. So that the first step is usually an investigation, a subpoena, and it usually drags on. It's usually month after month before anything happens. If if they see something particularly egregious, like in the case of U.S. ITech with the Texas Securities and Exchange Commission, it's a state agency, not a federal agency. The state of Texas Securities Commission gave them a cease and desist letter, which is immediate. It's not you've got 30 days to stop doing this. It's stop now because we know there's something egregious here and people are being hurt. That's generally, that, that's where you get into, you know, something after that, something big is coming. There's going to be a lawsuit. There's probably a referral out to the Department of Justice for criminal, criminal prosecution or something like that when, when it's egregious. But generally with the federal SEC, there's, you can tell when they, it's very egregious because they'll slap you with an immediate cease and desist of U.S. Marshals come in, seize assets. With, with a typical SEC matter, there's, a subpoena, there's subpoenas issued and there's an investigation that's somewhat time-consuming. So in essence, what happened with U.S. ITEC, although we don't know all the details, is they were obviously in uh, a world of hurt based on this temporary or this uh, cease and desist. And they decided, the company decided, that they were going to shut down U.S. and Canada operations. So for whatever reason, we're not there, so we don't know why, but they decided that they were going to do that. And that meant that there's a lot of distributors that are now wondering if they're ever going to get paid. Um, They've already been told that you have to kind of scrub the Internet and scrub everything you know, basically like you never existed. So I would consider that almost like hiding the evidence. So that was part of the thing. And it's against, by the way, that's completely against the cease and desist order. You Uh are supposed to, you are required to preserve everything and not delete anything. So, and, and they, I know you, everybody out there is saying they decided on their own to shut down Canada and the U.S. That's a misnomer. They were served with an immediate emergency cease and desist order from the government, which basically said you are shut down. And then the next day, Canada issued the same thing. So they were shut down by those two. They didn't have a choice. I mean, this was not a, hey, will you please cease and desist while we investigate and not build anymore. This was an emergency cease and desist letter to a judge saying they are out there harming the public 
and they need to be stopped immediately. So they were given no choice as to whether to shut down or not. The way they phrase it in their letters, which, by the way, is publicly available, uh, it it was like, we're shutting down the United States Canada, and then we need you to scrub your... Uh, scrub the internet and scrub everything so you never existed because you've now been terminated so you don't work for us anymore and they also said uh, we're going to consider paying you on some of the things that we owe you but we've got to do some preliminary investigation to be able to find the offenders and we might actually go after some of the offenders or hold their pay or not pay them and we'll know in a couple of weeks which to yeah, me what I find, what I find disgusting yeah. about the whole thing is that the letter that they put out, their statement that they put out, instead of taking responsibility for what they did, blamed it on the distributors. Correct. Which, which is complete nonsense. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, I, seeing that is, is really sickening. Now, I have, um, I have a question, uh, because as I've been looking through some of the things related to, you know, how did they get this far? How did so many people get sucked into this? There were some times where I saw, I think it was the owner of the company, actually on stage with a microphone saying, we've been, we've hired the legal minds of previous SEC people in a law firm, and they found us to be completely compliant in the United States. So we have been approved to do business in the United States. So when regular people, even smart people, business people, hear the owner of the company singing the praises of a law office that they hired that gave them either legal opinion or come to some conclusion that they are legal in every jurisdiction, in every country that these people are in, that throws a conflict in the mind of the credibility. You just say to yourself, wait a minute, the company said that there was a lawyer behind it. And the company said there's a legal firm behind it, so it must be valid or it must be okay. They must be whatever. So what are your thoughts about when those things happen um, well, and people are looking to do their due diligence or, or do some kind of homework? Kind of twofold. One, the law in this area is really evolving in front of our eyes. I mean, it's the, the, the same thing that people thought – was going to be the law even three weeks ago isn't where the SEC is at with it now. I had a meeting with the SEC a few weeks ago and brought up an issue with them, and they said their response was, oh, sure, that's our public position, but our private position is different. Well, that's not fair to consumers or to any company even. If if you're going to come out with a public statement of what your position is on something, and yet in private you believe something else, and now you're going to prosecute people based on that, that's not fair. So that part of it's wrong from that standpoint. But the SEC did put out a statement a month ago saying that we will be looking at taking action against accountants um, and brokers and attorneys for giving bad advice to companies, thus getting people involved in in something that is a security that's unlicensed. I think a lot of it with the government is, as far as people getting ripped off and prosecuted and things like that, is the intent of the company. When they look at these companies and they see, you know, it's a first of its kind, let's say, uh, you know, and they and they say, okay, well, 
we didn't really, the law wasn't clear, give me a slap on the wrist, everybody go, go along with your business, just tweak, fix things. Versus when they start, when they do an initial investigation into one of these deals, and the example that I gave earlier, that 70,000 computers were sold, and there's only 24,000 in existence. When they see that, it's, it's the gloves come off. And they say, forget the securities aspects of this. This is a Ponzi scheme. And once they do that, th- then then everybody's ripped off. And most of the time, the brokers, the attorneys, the accountants, everybody is blindsided because they didn't know this was happening. You look at documents when you're in that position, and and you look at you know what what you're being told by the company and what documents you see and things like that, and you don't know if they're actually doing that in practice or if they're cooking the books. So most of the time, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't pay much credence to it, I guess. I think uh-huh. that you have to do your own due diligence and independently. And, you know, I tell people on every investment, every, not just crypto, if you can't afford to lose it, don't do it. Right. So as a golden rule or as a guideline, you don't even need to know most of the things that we said on this conversation. As soon as people start talking about a return on investment, you should be thinking to yourself, now tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll, 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 I'll say, okay, I guess I'm wrong about this. But anytime people start talking about a return on the investment, you should immediately think that this is, might be an investment contract, a security, and they need to be registered. Would that be a safe enough assumption like that's a good starting every, point. Yeah, almost every time. That's, and if it's it a very looks, good starting point, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, seems like it's always like a duck, and and they're not registered, and they're big, and they're not registered with the SEC, I would say run like hell, because not only can you lose your money, you know, like you said, you know, if you can't afford to lose your money, but could people? And this is a transition to my next question. Could some people be potentially in harm's way with getting their money clawed back, maybe even facing prosecution? So sure. could that be a possibility? Sure. You're back in a Zeke Rewards kind of position. You know, it doesn't matter. You're just talking about a different product. It's, that's really what the crypto is. The, the, the beauty of the crypto world and the reason it's taken off so much in the MLM world is because the product itself has the potential to make money, not the investment. So most people that I've seen in the last six months that are joining crypto-based companies are not network marketers. They're not in it to build a network. They're in it to buy the crypto, to mine the crypto, to get the crypto in the hopes that it's going to go up in value. Right, which Big would difference def- between lotions oh, and potions. Right. Big motivation is, in, is the return on the investment or the investment itself or the opportunity to be able to make a killing when the, on like the you back said, end. yeah, when Ripple goes from two cents to 40 cents so they can, you know, whatever. Now, yeah, But the people that are out there promoting it with a guaranteed return on investment, those words right there are, should be, that's where everybody should, that's when you should run. When you hear guaranteed return on investment, because that's not coming from the crypto. That's coming from somewhere else. 
Right. And in those examples, that's the typical thing with a Ponzi scheme. New money is paying off old promises. That's right. So they'll last for a while, but I don't think there's ever been a Ponzi scheme that ever got big that lasted forever. No. So no. everything read about it's it just in, a matter you, of time. You, yeah, you could read about those in my book. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. I mean, some of the longest-running ones ever are in there, and now, that's about we, 10 years. Now, there's going to be a there's going to be a little bit of a double whack to some people that are getting involved in the crypto industry. Some of it is the fallacy that um, you could do all this stuff, not have to worry about taxes, um, and that was never the case, and will probably come to bite some people based on you know what the IRS has done to Coinbase um, being able to try to retrieve the the figures from the tax uh, from the top earners or the top people that have been moving around the cryptocurrencies of any nature. So the reality was is that you were supposed to claim if you made a profit, but hardly anybody did. And the IRS is saying <laughs> hardly anybody did relative to the number of people that are playing this game. And they just recently came down with harder regulations, I guess, in the Donald Trump or more clarified uh, regulations, I guess, with Donald Trump's new tax bill, which is really, I think, going to be sending a shockwave through a lot of people that are the just, you know, the investor wannabes, the people that really are just kind of playing with these money games, and they're probably not going to be very good at dealing with accountants. So do you want to talk about any of the tax ramifications moving forward of whether you're in an MLM deal or just cryptocurrency in general? Sure. Um, I mean, it's it has, nothing's really changed. It's always been taxable. The problem with crypto from a taxation standpoint is, one, there's anonymity on these sites, but there's not anonymity anonymity on the exchange sites you have to put in your KYC information so that and so that you're to prevent terrorism basically but they've got your information coinbase is probably the best at at helping the investors the the coin owners because they've sent out notices to people saying pay your taxes don't forget to pay your taxes and what they've done in addition to that is they give you – you can set up for any of the coins that Coinbase handles, you can set up a cost basis analysis. And it will give you a report for your cost basis for, your, for what you've put in so that you know and you can track your, your sales and then you can tell what your profit for capital gains is which is different than most of the exchanges. Most of the exchanges are counting on the fact that people are just going to be honest and figure it out on their own. Well, one of the problems for the general public is that's involved in it is most people don't know what their cost basis is that they bought it at. So it's, you can't even tell. And the, the cost basis minus – or the, the sale price minus the cost basis is your taxable income versus it's not always what you sold it for that's your taxable income. It's what you sold it for minus what you paid for it. And so now with that tool, cost, or Coinbase is making it possible for people to pay their taxes. What people are counting on is that no one can track it so they don't have to pay their taxes. Well, that's why the governments around the world are in an uproar. If everybody paid their taxes – 
You're talking about a $300 billion uh, industry at this point. That's a lot of tax revenue around the world. And that's why countries like Korea, China, um, Russia have said, we want our own currency. I recently was on the phone with a, with, with a government official from a, another country who basically said, look, we want this one coin, not one coin, but this particular coin to be our national coin. And we want to promote it because they want to get, if they're promoting it, they're getting the tax revenue from it. And that's that's the big concern. I mean, it's it's huge revenue lost to governments. So you know that's that's always the determining factor for these governments. Right, and you get the conspiracy side of it, thinking that okay, now the government just wants to track everything so they can determine whether I'm eating Cheetos or not. You know, for my insurance company, the loss of privacy and things like that. So I I I I get the whole concept of the cryptocurrency, the blockchain obviously the technology behind it, and the fascination. And I really do think it's going to change the way people do a lot of things relative to the economies and, and spending and moving money around. Um, but it does, it's not a good fit for MLM. Like cryptocurrency by itself is not really a great fit because it seems to bring out the worst in the schemes behind MLM. So are there any instances or some instances where maybe the concept of cryptocurrency or blockchain might have Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.